How good is your goodness? Pastor Xavier Reese asks, as good as you thought? Have you ever forgot to mail in a bill? Thought you did? And then you get a notice and you go, smell these guys, I mailed it in. You go look at them, you go, <gasps> that's what should happen when the light of God comes into your life to show you who you really are and where you're at. When the light of the Holy Spirit comes to your life and you see yourself or who you really are and where you stand, you will shudder before God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. What's the difference between pride and confidence? Well, as Pastor Xavier explores the simple truths in the book of Philippians, he brings to the surface the importance of letting the life of Christ replace your own self-assuredness. Here he is with today's important lesson, Man's or God's Righteousness. Let's listen. The Pharisees had a prayer they repeated every morning. Lord, I thank you that you did not make me a woman, a Gentile, and a slave. They were deceived and blinded to their own sinfulness and lostness. Their constant self-righteousness was rebuked by Jesus, which was a clear and very strong warning to all who desired to enter heaven. Except your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall no way enter the kingdom of God. Harlots and tax gatherers will enter in before they. Whoa, they got blown away. Phariseeism will always be around as long as sinful man is around. And it's quite inferior to the righteousness of Christ. And so Paul the Apostle tells the Philippians to have their confidence and joy in the righteousness of Christ and not man's. As he begins chapter 3, verse 1 and 3, he points out the righteousness of the Judaizers, which was the law. Verse 4 through 7, he points out his own righteousness before Christ which was also the law. And then he points out the righteousness of Christ in verses 8 through 11. We want to focus our attention on Paul's settled conviction about the righteousness of Jesus Christ to be accepted by God, which is described in three ways. Let me read our text for us. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is from faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul settled conviction about the righteousness of Jesus Christ to be accepted before God is described in three ways. First, in verse 8, Paul's deliberate choice is declared. Secondly, Paul's desire righteousness is defined in verse 9. And thirdly, Paul's determined purpose is described in verses 10 and 11. Let's begin here with Paul's deliberate choice as it is declared in verse 8. Notice first, Paul chose the superiority of Christ. Listen to him. Yet, indeed, I count all things lost. Paul had not only counted the previous things, but all things lost. 
He has mentioned some things in the previous verses about his previous life apart from Christ, his religious life. And he counted those laws, but now he has the word all. Not only those, but all else that might come. The word loss is singular and it's found only one other place in the Bible. It is there in Acts chapter 27, verse 10 and 21, where Paul was in the ship and there was a shipwreck. And he says that the only loss would be of the cargo and the boat, not the men. The word all includes anything, anything else beyond the gains of his formal life. When you think of the word gain, think of prophets. The prophets that in fact robbed him and damaged his soul, all being absolutely worthless stock. Paul had invested in bad stock. There are a lot of people in church who are investing in bad stock. And they're not totally investing in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. All his gains were counted as one great loss. Now, he's already given you. That's an impressive thing. He says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, the Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is the law, blameless. Whoa. That's what men look, live for, right? Accolades. Things that they can point to. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with being a go-getter and getting ahead. I hope that you are as a Christian. But we're talking about spiritual things. There's nothing we can do. But I hope that you as a Christian, let me just kind of preface it right now. Those of you who are young people and those of you who are getting along in life, I hope that you are constantly going and trying to make the best of yourself, that you're advancing in life. I hope you're not a slug just sitting around. I hope you're learning all the time. You're, you're getting trained more. You're getting more education. Whatever it is, you're getting more in the, in, the, in the job you're in. You're going forward. You're always learning. You're always open. Don't be complacent. You be the best example for Christ. You be the best in who you are for the glory of God. When in terms of righteousness, we can't do anything. Now, notice Paul had counted all things a loss by personal experience and relationship. He says, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul had experienced a personal encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road, and that's what he's talking about here. The word excellent means to be above, to be superior in rank, authority, power. He's just plain better. As a matter of fact, the word is translated like that in chapter 2, verse 3, where he's speaking about esteeming others better than yourselves. That's the same word, better. Now, notice the word knowledge, gnosis. It means primarily a seeking to know, an inquiry. An investigation in the context, it refers to the spiritual truth and understanding about Christ. It is something personal. It isn't something detached. As a matter of fact, this word is used of a husband who is to dwell with his wife according to knowledge, gnosis, in 1 Peter 3, 7. He had been made to see by divine revelation and illumination that he had been fighting against God in his religious fervor, thinking he was doing service to God, and now he had chosen the more excellent place through the knowledge of Christ. He did this 30 years ago, and it was still his conclusive conviction. That's Paul, 30 years later. Is your conviction a stern now or more than when you first were saved? I hope so. It should be. It should never wane. Notice Paul, by divine conviction, had made Christ 
Jesus his Lord. That's why it's intimate. That's why it's personal. The word Christ, Christos, you know, is a reference to his deity. And it means the anointed, equivalent to the Old Testament, Messiah. The name Jesus refers to his humanity, his earthly existence. He was a man like any other, yet without sin. And the title Lord can mean master, husband, owner. Here it's in reference to being master and owner of Paul. One who lived for God and one who allowed God to live through him. Intimate, personal. The choice and commitment is personal. Mark two little words. My Lord. God has no grandchildren. You must make him your own. My children will never get into heaven because I'm a Christian or I'm a pastor. If they get into heaven, it's because they've made Christ their Lord. If they do not, they will perish along with the world who rejects Christ. The choice and commitment is personal. My Lord. It cannot be by religious association or family relationship. The law and works were very impersonal, mechanical, and only external, never affecting the heart of man. And how deceived we are so many times. And again, we're talking about the Christian, the person who's in church. You know, often somebody will say, you know, I just got a ticket. Oh, he's really, oh, I haven't got a ticket in 15 years. Oh, but you deserve one. <laughs> you deserve one a day. And we're so blinded. You know, we haven't got busted externally, but inwardly, we've busted every day. That's man. Notice, secondly, that Paul saw the advantage of Christ's excellence. He says he, he no longer held on to any works of personal virtue to merit his standing before God. He had ceased any attempt to establish his own righteousness. Listen to his words. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Paul, by illumination, was able to see that to stand before Christ in his own righteousness was a great disadvantage. The entire world, Jew and Gentile, is guilty before God, Paul says in Romans 3, 19 and 20. Nobody can stand before God. I'm always amused when people say, well, you know, I'm a pretty good guy, and you know, think God weighs it all out. He'll find out that he'll find out you're dead. You know, it's like a hunter who's out there hunting, and he's gone on a three-day trip, and he's, you know, he's hunting, he's excited, he's getting his quota and everything else, and, and he starts back, and it took him a day and a half to get in there, so he left himself a day and a half to get out, and, you know, a day and a half comes, and, and the car doesn't, and uh, he's looking around. Now, all of a sudden, he realizes he's lost. Now, he was just as lost a day and a half before, but didn't know it, so it didn't worry him. It's when you find out your laws that you begin to worry. But you're not any more found than you were a second before. And that is man. Be careful you don't deceive yourself, convince yourself, saying, well, I'm okay, I'm moral, I'm this, I'm that. You're dead. Unless you're standing in Christ, the wrath of God abides in you. You've got no standing before God. 
Paul had suffered the loss of all things for Christ, for Christ, not himself. The phrase is a business term, meaning to punish by exacting a forfeit. It could be rendered, I have been caused to forfeit. That's good. You see, you, you've got your little stash right here. You think it's all cool and everything else. Then all of a sudden, God says, look what I got. And you go, oh, wow. <laughs> you want to, oh, you kind of want, oh, really? That's nice. You hide yours, right? <laughs> that's kind of the picture. Your cost to forfeit what you were glorying in when you compare it to the reality of what is truly efficient. The things he suffered lost were the things that men hold so dear before their eyes to be thought of as righteous and spiritual before God and man. He's given us a whole list of them before. They're impressive. But not before God. Paul no longer saw his works as valuable but was able to properly assess the inferiority of man's righteousness. That's only by the grace of God, people. When the light of the Holy Spirit comes to your life and you see yourself or who you really are and where you stand, you will shake. You will shudder before God. Have you ever forgot to mail in a bill? Thought you did? And then you get a notice and you go, where are these guys? I mailed it in. You go look at them and you go, you die. That's what should happen when the light of God comes into your life to show you who you really are and where you're at. He says, and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. You see, he's able to assess it properly now. Paul's motive now was that I may gain Christ. See, very personal. The word gain means to acquire, to take on for one's profit. The same word is used by Jesus when he declares, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul in Matthew 26, 26. I look at that dumb bumper sticker. The man who dies with the most toy wins. Whoa, that's deep. <laughs> that's the world, huh? I don't think you've ever seen a U-Haul towed behind a hearse, have you? They don't even bury you with your shoes, you know that? Paul uses the word in his desire to gain the Jew who trusted the law. The person of Gentile who did not trust the law or was not under the law. And the weak in 1 Corinthians 9, 20 and 22. Paul wanted to profit everybody with Christ in every way possible. The person of Jesus Christ is the ultimate gain of man and the wisest choice that can be made. Man's righteousness, here's another picture, is his filthy rags, a menstrual garment, Isaiah 64, 6. I get the picture? God wants you to not be deceived about your person. Why? Because he loves you and he wants you to get the message. He is your only hope. Your only hope. It may be true that there are two sides to every question, but it is also true that there are two sides to a sheet of fly paper. It makes a big difference to the fly what side he chooses. Too many people are stuck to the paper. 
They've chosen the wrong side. What happens to that fly? It dies. Some people, knowing the superiority of Christ, choose to not choose Christ. Listen to the words of Jesus. For many are called, but few are chosen. Matthew twenty-two fourteen. Many call, few chosen. That's a choice. Some make the wrong assessment of Christ due to the mere intellectual evaluation rather than a personal commitment. It's a faraway analysis. It's an intellectual process. Listen to Jesus. Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Matthew 11, 29, and 30. It's a personal commitment. It's a rest in him. It's not just an intellectual ascent, but it's a wholehearted resting in him. Too often, Christ is not seen as a long-term advantage, but rather an immediate disadvantage because of the present and momentary pleasure of a sinful lifestyle. Well, you know, right now I've got this babe and I, I just can't, you know, I can't let her go right now, you know. Right now I'm doing this and I've got this, but, you know, but afterwards, when I get all squared away, you promise me you'll be here tomorrow? Can you promise me God will give you another chance? No man can. Listen, by faith Moses, when he had become of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproaches of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Have you seen him who is invisible? Have you heard him? Are you enduring? Paul's deliberate choice is declared to be the superiority and the advantage of Christ's righteousness over man's. Completely. But notice, secondly, that he tells us that his desired righteousness is defined there in verse 9. Paul's desired righteousness is defined. Notice first, Paul wants them to understand that this imputed righteousness was based on a person. A person. And be found in him. He wants them to know that this righteousness was based on a person of Jesus Christ by the personal pronoun. Paul has already told them that they were to rejoice in Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. He'll tell them that in chapter 3. Verse 3, opposed to the Judaizers. He has mentioned Jesus Christ and Christ in the previous verse. Paul was identifying the God-man here, the very fulfillment of God's promise to redeem man from the beginning of the world. Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman, a virgin-born child, a woman would conceive without a man. Christ was the fulfillment of that. You see, Jesus was the God-man, God incarnate, John 1, 1 and 1, 14. He was with God, he was God, and he became flesh. Jesus came down in the form of a servant. He told us that in chapter 2, verse 6 through 8. He was the model. He was the example. Jesus told the woman of Samaria, you don't know what you worship. The Jews know what they worship. 
but I am he who speaks to you, the Messiah. And the time has come in and now is that those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus was the Father's gift of his love to the lost world. Man did not deserve him, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. A gift. A gift is something you don't deserve. Have you ever got a gift from somebody? And when you opened it up, it was so overwhelming that you, you, you know, I can't take this. It's just so much. A gift. Totally given because he loves you. That's it. Jesus is called by Paul God's indescribable gift to man in 2 Corinthians 9.15. And the context is speaking about the Corinthians who had not given their finances as they said they were going to for the poor saints of Jerusalem and the Thessalonians had out of their deep poverty. And he says, but you know, after all is said and done, you give whatever it is, how can we even compare that to the incredible gift of Christ? In other words, when we see what God has done and given for us, what can we give him in return? Nothing. And what we do give it's nothing compared to what he has given. He laid down his life. No one took it up from him. He had the power both to lay it down and take it up again, John 10 says. You see, he wanted to be found or discovered by all embracing the imputed righteousness of Christ. That was his goal. The excellence of Christ was imputed to Paul, meaning it was given to him, credited to his person. So when you come across according or imputed or, or, or it was given to him or it was according to faith, it's imputed. It's an accounting term. You go down the bank and you say, excuse me, can you give me my balance of my, my checking account? They go, oh, yes, Mr. Smith, you got $10,000. No, 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 you mean I have $10? No, 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 you have $10,000. Well, when's my last deposit? Well, you made one two days ago for $9,990. You did have ten, but now you have 10000 So I didn't make it. That's imputed. Someone put some cash in there for you. You had nothing to do with it. That's what God has done for you and me. He put it in and I get to draw it out. The gain of Christ was imputed, meaning that he had nothing to boast about. The being found in him was imputation, meaning he had to give God all the glory. You see, that's why Paul says, my gospel the gospel of Christ. He made it his because he could glory in nobody but Christ. And that's the beauty of the gospel. You, me, everyone else can only glory in Christ and in God. We can do nothing to glory in ourselves if we understand it. Paul wanted them to know that this righteousness was based on a position of faith, not practice righteousness of the law. It's a position of faith. Now, listen to his words. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The law cannot make a person righteous, but only prove that he is unrighteous. The law provokes you to sin. If we had some signs down the hall this morning says, wet paint, don't touch, what would you have done? You would have touched it. The law provokes you to sin. Parents, bring that baby home, gets into the terrible too, says, don't touch that. He goes. Law provokes us to sin. Pastor Xavier Reese and the only path to freedom, a freedom available to all who surrender to the plan of God. 
Now, if you'd like, you can hear this message again online simply by browsing for today's date when you click on the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But there's still much more to come here next time as well. Now, if you won't be able to join us, you can always pick up a copy of this message on CD. The title to ask for is Man's or God's Righteousness. It's available for just $4. And why not pass on this study to a friend when you're through? Now, once again, the title to ask for is Man's or God's Righteousness. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. What kind of stronghold does sin have on your life? That's what we'll be examining on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Rees. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California, www.calvarychapelpasadena.com.